Good morning. Our scripture reading for today is out of Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. My Father, I thank you for the display that motherhood is of your love, your brooding, caring, nurturing, guiding love in the lives of your people. All of our mothers, even the very best of them, were imperfect displays of this, but you are a perfect parent to your children. The Bible calls you Father. I don't know of a place where it calls you Mother, but... There are places where it talks about that you would gather your people under your wings like the hen gathers her chicks, and so there are certain metaphors like that, and Lord, the message for today is all about you wooing your people to gather under your wings that you might bless them and keep them and make your face to shine upon them. I thank you, Father, for the word that you spoke to Moses about these things so long ago, and I thank you, Father, that this word is living even now. I thank you that your word is valid today, even as it was in those days. And I pray, Lord, that we would listen and respond. I pray that we would hear the call of God in Christ Jesus upon us. And I pray that we would respond to you well, Father. I pray that we would hear your heart clearly. I pray that we would have a desire to cherish your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a a life where we know your blessings. I thank you, Father, for what you'll do. And I surrender myself to you now in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Moses had faithfully led the people of Israel for over 40 years of his life now. He wasn't exactly a king, but he acted in some ways like that. He was a faithful leader for a very long time, and he was now encamped with them on the east side of the Jordan River where they could look over the river and see the land of promise that God had told their fathers about more than 500 years previous to this time. And as Moses stood there, camped out in that area, and looked over the river, he knew a couple of things to to be true. The first thing that he knew was that it was time. He knew that the time had come for God to fulfill all of his promises to his people. He knew, though the people had waited for many, many centuries, over five centuries now, for God to fulfill all of his word, the time had come, the day was here, and it was about to happen. God is a faithful, faithful God. And even though he sometimes delays long beyond what we expect of him, he always does what he says he's going to do. Amen? 
Oh, how often, even in our brief lives, we have seen this where God spoke a word and it took him a lot longer to fulfill it than we imagined. But when the time was right and when his heart was ready, he fulfilled it. And Moses knew after all these centuries, the time had come, the time was now, God was going to bring his people into his promised land. Oh, what a privilege it would have been to be there at that moment of history. The other thing, though, that Moses knew was that even though the time had come, he would not be entering into the land with the people of God. You'll remember that some years before this, Moses sternly rebuked the people of Israel. They deserved it. And he was rebuking them at the command of God, so he wasn't doing this in his flesh. God uh, commanded him in very specific terms exactly what to do to rebuke the people. But Moses let his anger get the best of him. And he took the holy staff of God that sat not in Moses' tents, but in the holy of holies. He took that holy staff and he disrespected it by smacking it on the rock in anger. And he said to the people, what do I have to do for you to provide for your needs? And in this way, Moses brought all the, the glory upon himself and failed to give the glory to God. And the Lord is merciful and indeed forgave him. However, the, Moses, uh, the Lord forbid Moses from going into the promised land because of this sin, because of this error in his life. God did not allow Moses to enter into the earthly rest. He brought him into heaven, to be sure. We see in the New Testament that Moses appears on the top of the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus, so we know that forever and ever Moses is with our Father. But in an earthly sense, the Lord said, no, you shall not enter into my earthly rest And so, knowing these two things to be true, that God was bringing his people in, but that Moses could not join them, he felt moved by the Holy Spirit to stand once more and address the people of Israel several more times over the period of just a couple days. And those addresses are gathered together and became the book of Deuteronomy. There's a few other things that were added to it, but mainly this book is a series of three addresses that Moses gave to the people of Israel as they were camped out on the edges of the promises of God. And I wonder, if you were in Moses' position and you had one more word to speak to the people of God before they inherited his promises, I wonder what you would say to them. How would you try to encourage them? If you stood before the high priest and all the priests and the Levites who were their servants and you knew that they would have to lead the charge... You knew that they would have to provide spiritual context and spiritual leadership for what was about to happen in the coming days and months and years. What would you say to them? If you were to look at 600,000 warriors with spears and shields and, and armor getting ready to go in and take the land by force, how would you uh, fire up the troops? What would you say to them to get them ready for what God had called them to do in these days? What would you say to the rest of the million or so people that were left in addition to that, that had to play support roles or just come along for the ride or whatever? What would you say? How would you encourage them? Well, last week we saw in Moses' first address that he basically did three things. First of all, he turned their eyes backwards and he reminded them of what God had done in the previous 40 years. And he tried to interpret that for them and help them understand why God did what they did and the lessons he was trying to teach his people in that. He was trying to give them eyes to see. You know, The song we just sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Well, for Moses, it was turn your eyes upon Yahweh. Fix your eyes on him and his will and his works and his ways and understand what he has done and why he has done it. And then the second thing he did was he pressed on them. You'll remember, 
He told them, remember, 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 remember what the Lord has done. Which led to the third word. He told them, take care for your souls. Guard your souls just like an army fortress, like an army would, would guard a fortress. Keep diligent watch over your souls because it will take hard work for you to remember the things of God. It will take effort. God will give you all the grace, but you will have to extend effort. So do that, Israel. Do that. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. That was the the heart of Moses' first address to the people of God. Remember the Lord. I just wonder, if you were standing before an army of people getting ready to go to war, is that what you would say to them? That's what Moses said. It wasn't about sharpening the swords. It wasn't about organization. It wasn't about military tactics. It was about saying, God Almighty is first, so above all things, fix your eyes upon him. There's nothing in this life that's more important than that. After his first address, Moses took care of some business. You'll see there in chapter 4, verse 41 and following, he set aside some cities that were called cities of refuge. These were things that God commanded to be set aside for people who killed somebody but didn't mean to do it. And so in order to flee from unjust retribution, God set aside these cities where they could flee and basically get a a fair hearing, get a fair trial. So Moses, in obedience to the command of God, did as God commanded. And then you'll see at the beginning of chapter 5 that he gathers the people again. One and a half to two million people. He gathers them all again. And he stands before them as the man who's led them by the Spirit of God for all of these years. And he addresses them now for a second time. And you'll see there that he begins the address with those words that are now so famous and so familiar to us. He says, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. He's calling them to attention. He's calling them to wake up. He's calling them to put aside their, their, their cares and concerns, the circumstances of their lives. He's calling them to fix their eyes upon the Lord. For us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, he's saying, Hear, O Israel, hear, wake up, pay attention, lift your chins up, fix your eyes on God. Forget your problems, forget other people, forget what you think about the leadership of Israel. Fix your eyes upon God, see things as God sees them. He's calling them specifically. You'll see in the next few verses, he kind of defines what he means. He says, hear, O Israel, and what he means by that is know the word of God, listen to the word of God, learn the word of God, do the word of God. Please, please try to remember those three words. Listen, learn, and do. I'll try to repeat them a lot this morning so to help us. Those are really, really important words. Listen, learn, and do. That's what the Lord means when he says, Hear, O Israel. Listen to my word. Hear what I'm saying. Learn from my word. Like, really hear what I'm saying. Now, you mothers, we're here to honor you in part today. You've had situations with your children when you've said to them, you're not hearing me. Haven't you said that to your kids? You did not mean that they didn't physically pick up the sound waves and understand the words that you spoke. You meant they're not paying attention to you, right? You can hear and not hear. God is saying, do both things. Listen to my words and learn from my words and then do them. Listen, learn, do. This is what is meant by the call to hear, 
Hear, hear, O Israel. And then Moses reminds them of the time when they literally heard the words of God. When they were camped out in the desert and God thundered with a loud voice from the top of the mountain and caused the rightful fear of God to be put into their hearts. If you look there at verses 2 and 3, you'll see that Moses said to them, The Lord our God has made a covenant with us in Horeb, which is the area where Mount Sinai is. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. What Moses is saying to the people is that the people who were adults on the day when God thundered from Mount Sinai, the word of God from the mountain was not only for them, but it was for one generation after another. You see, the people who were adults when God thundered from the mountain were now by and large dead. All the warriors of that generation are dead. Many of the other people in the society that were born in that generation are now dead. Their children, who were only children when God thundered from the mountain, have a memory of what God did, but now they're standing before Moses. They're fully grown. They're the ones clothed in warrior's clothing. They're the ones that are going to have to go in and take the land, and Moses wants them to know something. The word that God spoke to your fathers is a living word, and it's for you today. God is not a God who speaks only to previous generations and then leaves that stuff behind. God is a living God, and his word is a living word, and his covenant is for one generation after another after another. Parents are not charged to pass on their religion to their children. Rather, the covenant of God, the living God, passes on from one generation to another. And Moses wants them to know this. The Lord is your God, not just your parents' God. The Lord has made a covenant with you, not just with your parents. God will be with you, even as he was with your parents. And then you'll see there, in the rest of that chapter, he goes on to repeat the Ten Commandments, almost verbatim. And all he's doing in a sermon form is reminding the people of the covenant that God made with them on that day. The Ten Commandments are essentially God's wedding vows between Israel and his heart. And so he's reminding them of the vows. He's telling them, this is what God said, and God meant it, and God said these things to you, and he meant these things for you, and he wants to bless you and keep you. So obey his commands to love him, and then to love all other people as well. He reminded them that when they first heard this thundering speech from God, it scared them pretty badly. And I think we would all feel just the same way. Even when we hear a really, really loud thunder crack, you know the kind of thunder that smacks when it's right next to your house, not way down the road? When uh, lightning strikes in Monticello and the thunder rolls over to Otsego, that's one kind of thunder. When the lightning strikes in my neighbor's backyard, that's like a shotgun that you've never seen before, right? It's like, it's, whoa, it shakes the house, shakes your body. Sometimes it, it puts fear into our hearts. Well, imagine all of that, and then on top of that, you hear the thundering, audible voice of God coming from the mountain, and that's what the people experienced. They saw fire. They saw thick clouds and darkness. They saw lightning, and they heard peals of thunder. They heard a, a loud trumpet sound, and they heard the voice of God, and they were afraid. So they sent their leaders to Moses and said, listen, if, if God keeps speaking to us like this, we're going to die. So please, let the Lord speak to you only, and then you come and speak to us. And God was actually pleased with this fear that was in their hearts. Look at chapter 5, verse 29. The Lord says, this is not Moses' words now. Moses is reporting to the people what God himself said. Oh, that they, my people, had such a mind as this always, to fear me, 
and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. And then because the Lord was pleased with the fear of him that was in their hearts, he granted their request. He allowed them to go back to their tents. And God spoke many more things to Moses, who then in turn spoke to the people and revealed to them the love of God. And at the heart of what Moses said to his people, over all of the many words that followed in Exodus and Leviticus and parts of Deuteronomy, was simply listen, learn, and do. It's really all boils down to that. Listen to what your God has said to you for your good. Learn from it. Do it. And you will know the blessings of God. You will know the blessings of God as you submit yourselves to the word of God. This was the heart of the Lord for his people, beloved. And it's always been his heart. Deep in his heart, all he has ever wanted to do was bless and bless and bless his people. And all he says is, you have to do things my way. I will bless you but you have to do things my way. With this in mind, Moses begins in chapter six to reiterate all that the Lord had commanded and we'll see in the next couple of weeks that he basically summarizes a lot of law for the people and his, his passion again is to teach them to listen and learn and do. He wants them to fear the Lord and display their fear by paying attention to what God said and submitting their lives to him. So you'll see there in verses three and following that Moses begins to say again, he uses this phrase two more times again, hear, O Israel, hear me, hear me, Israel, have ears to hear me and do all that the Lord has commanded. Be careful to do what he says, that he might bless you and greatly do as he has promised to you and to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he comes to those most famous words in verse four. We probably, most of us know them by heart. Hear, O Israel, hear. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall have passion for them. You shall care for the things of God. This is the commandment. Moses uh, probably had no idea of the significance of the word that just leapt off of his lips. I can't imagine as a preacher that he stood there in a real place, in a real time, and understood the, the concussion, the reverberation through history that those words were going to have. I think he probably had no idea that those words he just spoke summarized the whole entire law of God from beginning to end. He certainly had no idea that one day Jesus Christ, who is very God in flesh, would come and walk this earth and teach his people that the greatest command of all the commands in all the history of the world is this command right here, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, to give God all you've got and to keep his word so close to your heart. Unbelievably powerful and important word. And why was it so important? Well, this law sums so much up of the heart of God toward his people, how he feels toward us, the tenor of his commands, the desire of his heart in commanding us. It sums up everything that God wants of us, and I mean that literally, everything. If we would only learn to love God and one another, we would know all the law. You don't need to know any more law. So this law is the heart of all the law. Everything is caught up in this one thing. 
It's like, you know, now we have all this fancy technology. It's like, like um, imagine a, a, a link that you can click on, and when you click on that link, it opens a whole world of stuff. Well, everything gets summarized in the Bible. Everything is summarized. It, it all goes back to this one link. Love the Lord your God with everything in you and do it with a, a passion, not out of a sense of duty. So let me say a few things now about what Moses said, and then I'll try to apply that to our lives. When, the, when Moses says that the Lord is one, what Moses is saying is that God is unified in his being. So what I mean is that there are two ways that you can say the word one in the Hebrew language. And the one that Moses chose here is the one that says God is unified in his being. So the reason I point this out is to say that when Moses says the Lord is one, he's not precluding the idea of the Trinity. That God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. He is saying that God is a unified being. And there's one other person in the church, Jason Ruzek, knows a little bit of Hebrew, and he can confirm that what I'm saying is true. This is a, a, a unifying word. It means that God has unity in his being. So the same word is used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when it talks about Adam and Eve, and it says that Adam and Eve became one flesh. One flesh. Now, Adam was a distinct person. Eve was a distinct person. But when God gave them to one another as husband and wife, they became one flesh. Yesterday, Kim and I had the, the great privilege of watching Matt Shepard uh, marry his wife, B.C. Shepard now. And we saw two individual human beings come together in the bonds of holy matrimony, blessed by the Spirit of God and indeed giving glory to God. Those two human beings are now one flesh. A third thing has come into being. Matt Shepard, as he used to be, no longer exists. There's a unity in his life with his bride that will characterize his life for the rest of his life. And whenever I see a wedding that gives such glory to God, I tell Kimmy every time, oh, I want to marry you all over again. I feel like we just got married again. I feel like we entered into the joy of this gift that God has given us to make us one. Distinct persons, but one flesh in some profound sense. That's the word that's used here to say the Lord your God is one. God is the Father, He is the Son, He is the Holy Spirit, but there is deep and profound relational unity inside of His being. God is one. Second thing I'll point out, given the relational but unified nature of God, the primary commandment of both the Old and New Testaments is to love the Lord our God with everything in Him. And think about everything else that could have been said. The, the Lord could have said that the most important thing you should know is to obey me or to serve me, or to do your duty, or whatever. There's many things he could have said. But of everything that God could have said was the most important commandment, he said that loving him is the most important. And this is a passionate word, beloved. The word that was chosen here is a passionate word. Let me give you some examples of how else it's used. This word is used in Genesis 22.2 to talk about Abraham's love for his son Isaac. Think about the way Abraham must have felt about Isaac. He waited to have that child of promise until he was how, how old? He, he was 100 years old, right? Imagine that you want a child, and you want it fiercely. And, and the main reason you want that child is because God promised you you were going to have a child. And so you try and try, and you wait year after year, which turns into decade after decade. And you don't end up getting pregnant and having a child until you're 100 years old and your wife is 90 years old. 
tell me something, would you value that child a little bit? That is the the word for love that's used of how Abraham felt for Isaac is the same word that's used to say, love the Lord your God. It's a profound, deep, I love you because I want to love you kind of a love. Deep love. This is not superficial stuff. This is deep. The same word gets used again of Isaac when he married his precious bride, Rebekah. It says that when he went into the tent with her, which is code for, they went in and and shared in the intimacy that is given to married couples. And it said that Isaac loved Rebekah. He had passion for her. So think about the passion of a husband and his bride that have just come together and all that they feel emotionally, spiritually, and physically for one another. That's the kind of love word that's being used when it says, love the Lord your God. I don't know how you feel about your spouse. Kim and I, we've been married a long time, so we we have our moments, that's for sure. But most of the time, I feel a great, great passion for my bride. And that passion is a symbol of how God wants me to love him. He's calling me to love him with my heart, not with duty. This is not a you're supposed to kind of love. It's not a do what you're called to do kind of love. It's an I want you kind of love. I need you kind of love. I'm desperate for you kind of love. I'm just kind of blanking a little bit on this worship song, but I wish I could remember it because it really speaks to this. It basically says that I want you, I need you. I I have to have you. I, I just can't live without you. Please, God, water my soul. Feed me. Bless me. Be with me. Keep me. Guide me. Forgive me. Empower me. Be my God. Let me be your child. That's the kind of love we're talking about, beloved. The Lord is calling for a relational love. That might sound redundant, but I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Some of us have an idea of love, like I'm supposed to love God because that's what the preacher told me to do. That's what the Bible tells me to do. That's what my dad told me to do. That's what my mom told me to do. God is saying, no, love me deeply from your heart. Another place, 1 Samuel 20, verse 17, David and Jonathan were best, best, best friends. They were closer than brothers. They had such a profound love for one another all the way to the end of their life. This is a friendship that's beyond just the normal bounds of acquaintancehood. And these are real soul friends that pointed each other toward the Lord their God all the days of their lives and actually even physically protected one another's lives from death more than once. It's a deep, profound love, and it's the same word that's used to say, love the Lord your God. So I say it to you one more time. God is calling his people to a heartfelt, I want to, I need to, I desire it. It's the very thing that I want kind of love. This is the command. The Lord your God is one. So have passion for him. Have passion for God and pursue him. Third thing, flowing out of this command comes all of the commands to keep the words of the Lord near to our hearts and to keep them diligently. The command to listen and to learn and to do the word of God flows out of the command to love God. So listen to me because you love me. Learn from me because you love me. Do what I ask you to do because you love me. Not duty, delight. Not I have to, but I want to. I love to. I desire to. I 
I, I can't wait to. I want to hear what you have to say to me, Father. I'm your child. You're my Father. Speak into my life. Give me the power to do what you have called me to do. Every command of God has to be heard as flowing out of the loving heart of God for his people. Hear his heart, beloved, and then cherish his word in that order. Hear the heart of your Father and then cherish his word in that order. So given this, Moses instructed the people to do something very specific. He wanted them to pass on this kind of love for God to their kids. And I want to emphasize again, the command to invest in our children is not about passing on to them a religion or a bunch of information about God. Mainly what Moses is saying is, beloved, teach your children to have passion for God. So he tells them to do two things. First of all, formally and diligently instruct your children. Take the Bible and teach your children the Bible. I am positive Moses has formal, diligent, disciplined instruction in mind. This is how people for centuries have understood this to mean. We have to instruct our children. But then the second thing, talk about the Lord everywhere you go. When you wake up in the morning, talk about the Lord When you're walking along the way, talk about the Lord. When you're sitting down and enjoying time together, talk about the Lord. When you're lying down in bed at night, talk about the Lord. What's the point? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if my heart and my mind and my life are are saturated with the things of God, then my speech will be saturated with the things of God. And you know the saying, and you know that it's true, that values are better caught than taught. Isn't that right? If you teach your children never lie, but you, they see you lying over and over and over again, they're going to learn that it doesn't matter if they lie. So Moses is telling them two things. Number one, formally instruct them, but then display this way of life before them. Let them see with their eyes what passion for God looks like. Let them see. That's the point. Instruct their minds and inform their lives by setting a pattern before them. It all flows out of a, a love for God. And this way of life is the path to the blessings of God, which is why you'll see in chapter 6, verse 10 and following, Moses tells them that when God brings them into the land of promise, he is going to bless their socks off. He's going to give them all kinds of stuff they never worked for. They're going to harvest fields that they never planted. They're going to drink from wells that they did not dig. God is going to bless them beyond their wildest imaginations, but he warns them and says... When I do that to you, when I pour my blessing upon you, this one thing you should remember, do not forget me. Don't commit idolatry and go after other gods because I am a jealous God. I'm a loving father and a loving husband and I will protect you, I will rebuke you, I will pursue you. And I want you to remember to love me even when you have my blessings. And isn't it just the kind of the way it is? Sometimes I thank God for tough times because it's easier in some ways to remember the Lord. When everything is plentiful and everything's prepared and everything is, uh, I was going to say provised. I don't know what that means. When God has made provision for everything, provised, it's easy sometimes to just forget, isn't it? You lose that, that urgent sense of dependence. And so he's warning them. I remember in Philippians 4, I remember one time about oh, five or six years ago now, reading this in, in Paul's writings and just feeling like shocked that he would say this, but then I realized how true it is. Paul said that he had endured the affliction of, of plenty. 
He endured the affliction of having everything that he needed. And I thought, oh Lord, afflict me. If that's affliction, then indeed afflict me. But I realized it really is an affliction because the temptation is so high to forget the Lord, isn't it? It really is. I'm so comfortable with the things of this world that I forget just how dependent I am. So God is not saying to them, I'm not going to bless you because you're probably going to forget me. God is saying, I am going to bless you and bless you and bless you, only remember to fear the Lord. Remember to, to remember me. Remember to love and cherish my word. Don't put me to the test. Don't push the boundaries. Don't see how far you can go before I get upset with you, but rather listen to me, learn from me, and obey me because I command you out of a heart of love. I command you out of a heart that wants to bless you. So basically Moses' message to them, beloved, was hear his heart, cherish his word, and know his blessing in that order. Hear the heart of God, and then having heard it, cherish the word of God flowing out of a father's heart, and then you will know the blessing of God. And when your kids grow up, Moses says, and they ask you what the meaning of all this is, tell them the great things that God has done for us and pass on to them the passion that God has for us and the passion that you have for him. So again, Moses is calling them to a profound love, beloved. Every single call to obedience in the Bible has to be heard in the light of the heart of God. And so the message is, hear his heart, cherish his word, and know his blessing. Now, again, if you had to stand before 600,000 warriors, is that what you would say to them? These guys have swords in their hands and shields in the other. They're ready to go fight for their lives. They're ready to go take land by storm. And this is the message. Love God. Love God. Not military tactics. Not be courageous. Not be brave. Love God. Love God. We fix our eyes on God. Tactics matter. God will reveal the tactics. He will. We fix our eyes on God. Resources matter. We need stuff to win the fight. God will provide the resources. We fix our eyes on God. God will provide us with all the mercy and grace we need to just deal with each other, put up with each other. God will provide all of that. The heart of everything, everything in life, fix your eyes on God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. It's still the same message today. That's all Moses was saying to them. Warriors, priests, people, children alike, the key to life is fixing your eyes on the Lord. That's, that's it. That's the whole message. Hear his heart, cherish his word, know his blessing in that order. So I'm going to push pause right there. We're only about a third of the way through Moses' speech here, but I'm going to push pause because I think you'll like me better if I pause now and don't preach another hour and a half, right? Can I get an amen? So we'll come back to the rest of this address next week. But for now, I want to just take a few minutes and apply these things to our lives. And I don't mean to be redundant. I don't mean to to speak down to you because I think some of you could apply this to our lives better than I could. But I just want to say, how does this live for us today? Because I think it's exactly the same precise word for us today. Like I said last week, Moses could well have just stood before us in this occasion and said the same words to us. He could have done this. So, so what's the Lord saying to us? First of all, hear his heart. I just, I just have passion for us to know that this is the heart of our Father. I've been praying all week. I've been begging the Lord, please, Lord, I can say the words, but only you can cause a heart to realize that this is your heart, that you're a fatherly God. That you're a relational God, that like you care about people's stuff. 
You care about their wounds. You care about their cares. You care about their concerns. You care about the sin that's in their lives. You care about the triumphs that are in their lives. You care about the victories. You care about the heartaches. You care about the dreams. You care about the hopes. You care about it all. And you want to relate to your people as a father. I've been begging him, God, please help us to see. And even those of us who've been around a while and we get the heart of God. I mean, I don't mean fully, but we basically understand. I've been asking him, like, like take it up a notch, Lord. Show us with more depth of insight that, what we, that we, we can know in a better way what we think we already know. Please show us. And, and I pray this for us, beloved. Hear our Father's heart. Know that he really is like a parent brooding over us, seeking to gather us and guide us along the way. I always think of Jesus standing over Jerusalem, weeping in tears. And what was he weeping for? He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you have no idea. I mean, you can't even imagine how often I have longed to just bring you close to me and put you under the shadow of my wings and lead you in the way that you should go. You have no idea how kind and gracious I wanted to be with you, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't just submit. You wouldn't just come. Life in Christ is so simple. Just come. That's it. That's it. And I, I think the Lord is saying the same thing to us today. Just come. Stop running away. Stop avoiding Stop rebelling. Just come. He will forgive your sin. He will lead you into in, the way that, that, that you should go. Second thing, cherish his word. Flowing out of that kind of a heart, then we need to hear the command to make a life of his word and literally saturate our lives with the word of God. And I mean it like that. It should be your number one goal as far as your habits go in life. I really mean this. Your number one goal in your habits of life should be to saturate your life with the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God expresses the heart of our Father. This is not a new list of commands, a new list of law, a new list of duties that you have to perform, and if you don't perform, God doesn't love you quite as much. It's not about that. God loves you as much as He's ever going to love you in Christ. But in the context of his love, he says, cherish my word because it expresses my heart for your life. It's the path to wisdom. It's the path to blessing. It's the path to fruitfulness. It's the path to to power in the Holy Spirit. It's the path to everything. So cherish his word. And your study notes today, you'll see in your bulletins, I put on the back of the study notes, I put a little chart of seven key habits with regard to the Bible. And I want to strongly encourage you to take that today and meditate upon it and do it as families. It would be even better if you did it together and just talk with each other and be totally honest about it. You know, so how's it going with you hearing the word of God? I know you listen to somebody preach, but were you really hearing the word of God? How's that, how's that going for you? How about reading? Dad, mom, children, are you reading? Are you reading any portion of the Word of God? Do you have a plan? Do, do, you, do you pay attention to His Word day by day? How about studying? Digging a little bit deeper. How about memorizing glorious verses like Galatians 5? How about memorizing and meditating upon the Word of God? How about, how about applying it to your lives? How about teaching it? How are you doing? Just have open, honest conversations. This is not a legalistic context. This is a father saying, come near to me, and I'm going to help you saturate your life with my Word, because through my Word... I'm going to give you wisdom and insight. I'm going to open up your eyes to see. My word's a lamp to your feet. It's a light to your path. You'll have the, everything you need to walk in my way, and then I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless you. Oh, how I pray, beloved, that Glory of Christ Fellowship would be a place where the word of God is truly cherished in life. I mean in everyday life. 
I'm glad that we honor his word in our preaching ministries and in our teaching ministries. And I pray to God that that will always be the case. But my greater dream is that that would seep down into our life habits and that we would be a people who rightly cherish the word of God together. And I want to tell you, I invite you anytime to ask me how it's going for me in love as my brothers and sisters to just say, Pastor Charlie, how's it going? What are you reading these days? What's God teaching you these days? What are you studying these days? How's the memory stuff going? Feel free to ask me because what you're, what you're doing to me is saying, are you pursuing the one who loves you? Are you pursuing your father? So let's be an encouraging church and saturate our lives with the word of God. And all this leads to the great promise that if we'll do this, God will bless us beyond our imagination. And, and I really mean that. The Bible says that he's already blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's a past tense thing. But the way that that actually comes about in life is as we hear his heart and cherish his word and then come flows the blessings. As we listen to our Father, hear his heart, as we learn from the heart of our Father, and then by the grace and power of God, we do the will of our Father, oh, the blessings come and come and come. And you know what? Um, This is not some pie-in-the-sky kind of a message, all right? Sometimes blessings are hard. I'm not saying that if you'll follow in the way of God that that everything's going to go well for you. You'll never get sick. You'll never have any problems. You'll always have plenty of money. You'll always get your way. I'm not saying that. Sometimes life is hard. And as I've thought about our life together the last 20 years, Kimmy, actually probably the greatest blessings we've received were through the most difficult times. I think about when my mom died and everything we went together and through together. (laughs) Oh, great blessings. Oh, things that I still draw on to this day. Amazing blessings that God put into our lives in the midst of death and difficulty. Just this week, a much, much lower level than that. Kimmy was uh, diagnosed with shingles on Monday of this week. Some of you have had shingles. I know, James, you said that you had it, so you share her pain, right? I mean, literally share her pain. So uh, she's, she's getting better from that. But the problem for us is she's got multiple sclerosis, and sometimes shingles will set off MS things, and, and we don't know what could happen. We know people who in six months went from where Kim is to being in a wheelchair just like that, all right? And this kind of stuff could happen to us. And so when I heard shingles, uh, that's the first place my mind went, is what's going to happen to my beloved bride. But I want to tell you something. Whether in sickness or in health, God is blessing our lives. And sometimes he allows us to suffer to give us the greatest blessings. I'll always remember a devotional we read some years ago when we were going through a tough time. And it talked about the flowers that emerge from rocks. Those of you who love to spend time in the woods, Steve, you love the woods, don't you just love it when you see a big rock and all of a sudden there's a flower in the middle of a rock, you're like, wait a second, time out, how did that happen? Oh, what a glorious flower that could emerge from a rock. It takes brokenness and suffering for that to happen, and so you know what, if the path to blessing is difficulty and suffering, then I'm okay with that. All I'm trying to say is, If we will hear our Father's heart and cherish his word, he will bless us beyond imagination, even though it might not always be easy. He cares for us. He wants to give us the very best, and sometimes the way that he has to give us the best isn't easy, but it's good. It's very good. So I'm going to just say it one more time. Please hear the word of God to you today. Hear it. This isn't coming from me. I've spent hours and hours discerning, Father, what would you say to your precious blood-bought children today? And this is the word. Hear your Father's heart. 
Cherish your Father's word and enter into the blessing of your Father in that order. Let's pray. Lord, I love you so much. I admire you so much. I really find it hard to put in words, God. I just admire you for how you do what you do. The fruit of the Spirit is not just something for us. It's actually the character of your heart. You are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things characterize you. And I just see you today as a loving Father with your arms spread wide over your people offering us these kinds of things today, calling us into these kinds of things today. And I thank you for it, Father. And I pray that you would complete now the work that you've begun in us in Christ Jesus. Please touch every life here today, Father, and succeed in your desire to woo us closer to your heart today. Please succeed in that, Father. I give you my thanks because I know that you will honor your word. In Jesus' name, amen.